Here is something that is becoming familiar to many professors during the pandemic, and not in a good way. A biology instructor at the University of Oregon opened an online homework tool called Chegg. Um, It's popular with students. And there they were. Almost every question from the semester's last exam, they were there. Oh, and also detailed step-by-step answers, ready to be copied down by any subscriber to the site. It turns out students had been posting questions to the site during the exam, as it was happening, and getting answers in real time from an army of low-paid tutors affiliated with the service. That same scenario has been playing out across the country. At Boston University, at Georgia Tech, and at other places, officials have launched probes of similar uses of Chegg and other homework help sites for exam cheating. Obviously, over the past year, the pandemic has dramatically altered college teaching, and one side effect seems to be a rise in exam cheating, thanks to sites that professors say seem almost designed to offer this temptation that's hard to resist when everyone's at home taking classes without supervision. This was a huge, sudden shift to to remote uh, learning. Um, And those students um, in those traditional classrooms, um, maybe not in honor code schools, but in other schools, were used to being proctored. They were were used to being watched um, all the time during an exam. That's Tricia Bertram Gallant a longtime leader with the International Center for Academic Integrity. And she's the director of the Academic Integrity Office at the University of California, San Diego. Even if it was in a classroom with 300 people, there were people walking around. There were your neighbors who would notice if you were cheating. There were proctors, there were teachers. And all of a sudden we said, hey, you've got, compl- you know, you're totally on your own. You have to morally self-regulate now, basically. And you have to totally control your own behavior Again, we're talking about 17 to 21-year-olds. So all of a sudden, there was temptation and opportunity that never existed for them before during exams. So while I don't think necessarily that homework cheating went up or plagiarism went up because those opportunities and temptations always existed, exam cheating is probably the particular thing that probably (laughs) probably did skyrocket during the pandemic. This kind of cheating is probably skyrocketing. I know there was kind of a glitch in the tape, but That's what she's seeing. She's careful not to name any one company. But the study help site that is leading this kind of industry is Chegg. It's so pervasive that many students even use the term Chegging when they talk about turning to homework help sites to copy down answers instead of doing work themselves. A recent investigation by Forbes magazine called Chegg a super spreader of cheating. And meanwhile, the executives there are getting rich in the process. The company's stock price has more than tripled during the pandemic. So now what? Hello and welcome to the Ed Surge podcast, where each week we look at how education is changing. I'm Jeff Young, an editor here at Ed Surge. This week we're bringing you a mix of perspectives on this issue. It turns out the controversy raises some tough questions about the quality of teaching during the pandemic and about some enormous gaps in resources that are playing a big role. So I started with Tricia because I wondered if there was anything that this group, the International Center for Academic Integrity, was doing about these homework help sites. And it turns out there's one change they've been pushing for. If they were truly interested in um, academic integrity and helping institutions uphold academic integrity, they would, and, and their sites are truly about helping students learn, not about cheating, then a simple delay on how long it takes 
to answer a delay from the time of the posting of the question and the answer of the question would help with that. If a question was posted and not answered for a day, maybe even just three hours, um, then students couldn't cheat with the answer. So uh, that is, you know, a simple thing to do. And I guess you would have to ask those businesses, why won't you do that? So I did ask. I put that very question to the biggest of these businesses. Chegg. This is a very common request um, that we hear from faculty. I, I would say it's almost the number one thing that we hear. That's Candace Sue. Her title at Chegg is Head of Academic Relations. It really is a faculty perspective. So let's um, consider what it means for the student. So if a student is stuck on their homework and they need help in the moment that they're asking, it's, it's really unfair in our view to make them wait um, for, an, for an artificial delay. Um, if we can answer their question right away, we want them to get the help that they need when they need it. Because most students today, as you have covered in several of your podcasts, you know, they have limited time to study. They're not necessarily a typical student going to school full time. They may be actually working 30 plus hours a week. They may have children at home and they may have precious few hours to actually study and they need help when they're stuck. So a time delay across the board for every question coming into Chegg, um, not to mention the questions in our catalog, would be a detriment to the students who are seeking help. She's worked in higher ed before. In fact, she's new to Chegg, but she was working at a university even when the pandemic started. Before I came to um, Chegg, I was at the University of California working for the Office of the President. And I was there for, you know, the very first um, indicators of the pandemic's, you know, um, um, you know, rise. And I was there for um, the period of time where I saw UC's 10 campuses move to a remote environment and how sudden that was. And to me, there's no question that everyone no matter where you sat, student, faculty, staff were, you know, kind of faced with a situation that they were simply unprepared for. How could anyone be prepared for that situation? And that move was sudden. It was jarring. It created numerous questions. And the impacts were felt by everyone, but in particular students. What I wanted to know was, has the use of Chegg gone up since the pandemic started? I'll confess, I actually knew the answer um, from that Forbes article, which notes that in the third quarter of last year, subscribers to Chegg rose 69% over the previous year. That's up 69%. So to answer your question, yes, there has been a rise in subscribership. And yes, there has been a rise in um, students seeking help on, on Chegg. Now, to be clear, Chegg says it has tools in place that are meant to stop students from using the site for cheating. And it has plenty of fine print that students agree to um, where they promise they won't cheat. The company refused, though, to put in that delay that so many professors wanted. But this issue didn't seem to be going away. We started to hear from faculty and those we were working with that there were concerns, and those concerns seemed to be rising with the pandemic. And so we wanted to be responsive um, and to create something that we thought would work and would balance 
um, the needs of students who are seeking help with, uh, you know, basically what faculty were telling us they were seeing on, on, you know, in their teaching situation. This new feature that Chegg came up with, the name of it sounds almost out of a superhero movie. It's called Honor Shield. And so what Honor Shield does is it, it basically puts some control in the hands of faculty by allowing them to pre-submit questions to Chegg that we will then use exclusively for the purpose of matching questions that might already exist in our, our catalog of questions or questions that may um, purposely or inadvertently come in during the exam period. And that allows them to say, during a specific time period, we're going to hold, you know, we're going to hold these solutions back. So a subscriber only sees, um, only sees a message that says these questions are being used for an exam during this period of time. So it's, it's kind of a simple solution. It's free for faculty in the United States. And all they have to do is provide us with the list of questions so that we can tell what questions are actual exam questions at any given, at any given time and hold those questions back for them. And the one thing I'll just say, Jeff, that's kind of notable about this product is it blocks questions not just for the universe, the one university, the one program, the one faculty member and their students who are undergoing an assessment, but it actually blocks the question across the platform so that someone who may only be coming to answer their homework question um, would also be blocked during that period of time. But we think it's worth it. You know, it's, it's a trade-off. But we think it's worth it because we're really, we're 100, blah, 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 sorry, let me back up. <laughs> we're 100% committed to addressing this issue of academic integrity. And we think that trade-off is actually worth it to help faculty when they're basically undergoing an exam process. What if, what if a faculty member is concerned that those questions will then just be posted to check later, maybe after the time window or something. So the information that faculty submits to Chegg will be used exclusively to match questions that may be either existing on the site or come in during the process of an exam. We will not use any content that is submitted by the professor to, you know, to use later for the purposes of answering those questions. Everyone in the story is pointing me to, to someone else. And this Chegg official said I really needed to hear from students. She wanted me to talk directly to people who are using the site. Of course, there are many student perspectives on anything, including this. That Forbes reporter talked to 52 students, and the majority of them said they use Chegg to cheat. I ended up deciding to talk to a student that regular listeners to this podcast will recognize. I called Marjorie Blen, a junior at San Francisco State University, who was one of the students we featured all last semester during our Pandemic Campus Diaries podcast series. She also works with a nonprofit called Students Making a Change, which advocates for marginalized students. And she had an interesting perspective when it comes to sites like Chegg. I feel like it's really unrealistic from the professors to be like, don't use this, don't do that, don't, because we are at home, like, we can't go to the library, we don't have interaction physically with them, where you could be like, oh, I got this answer wrong, can you tell me, because via email, that doesn't translate, you know, like, the support, how are we, we're like, 
I wouldn't say near, like almost self-teaching herself, right? Marjorie introduced me to another student that she knows from San Francisco State, Katia Padilla. I have a hard time sometimes understanding certain directions from some instructors, at least my past instructors. Um, It's gotten difficult for me, especially now during the pandemic where I can't like reach out at any moment, at any given time to a student, you know, because I'm not on campus or I'm not in class. Um, But sometimes I do need uh, a question or a direction to be paraphrased or just rephrased so that I can understand it. So these sites have been super useful for me because not only not because I'm getting the answer, but because I'm sort of taking my time understanding why the answer is this. And like because not being in class, it's a little bit more difficult now, I think, especially for like my my way of learning. I have to be in person. So it's it it has become a lot more useful. Yeah, these these sites totally help. And, and I think it's really critical to to stress then you're saying that for you, you feel like you've never violated the, you know, academic integrity rules by the way you're using it. Yeah. Uh, well, I can't say I haven't violated because there's a lot of little like on so, certain syllabus, like a lot of little technical terms and things like that. But um, but more so, yeah, it's just been more for like my understanding of the class, because my goal is to know what what I'm learning, you know, not just getting the answer, but understanding what I'm learning. So even if I, w- I would do it in a way that it implicates me, I think that I'm doing it more so for my understanding. And and it might not be that way for an instructor for the school, you know. That's so interesting that your perception of the syllabus rules it seems like it almost feels like it's very bureaucratic from your point of view. Like what, when you see these rules that are on that you're thinking of, as you, as you made that answer, what, what is it that you feel like that, that the professors want um, that you don't quite agree with in some cases, maybe. Okay. So I'm going to go in a little bit deep and then kind of answer your question, but I, English is sort of like my first slash second language, right? And so you're reading a question on an exam or something. And sometimes the way it's phrased, like I know we're in college, but my English isn't, I don't, I wouldn't say it's college level. So a lot of it is hard to understand, right? Sometimes the question is asking you what specific term and you're just like, what, what is that term? What does that mean? How does that apply to this question? Or how does it apply to what the teacher is asking me to answer here? And so I think for me, I'm, that's the way I'm understanding like the use of these, sorry, programs that we're talking about. That's why I reach out to those programs when I'm in the middle of something or trying to understand like why the teacher is saying this or asking for this specific thing. And so I think that's what plays a huge role of why I use the programs. But then, you know, if you're looking at it from the teacher side, um, it's you shouldn't be searching outside of the classwork, you know, or outside of the uh, the given class materials. And so, you know, in certain syllabuses you see like during an exam, this is all all we give you is what you're going to be using. However, we have access to all of these things that actually make it easier for me to understand the question. And, you know, like I like previously said, it's not the answer. I'm looking at, it's me trying to understand what they're asking me to do. And so that's what these programs have helped me through um, a lot of that misunderstanding. So let's be clear, Katya seems like she is trying to honor the spirit of academic integrity here. And to give some context, she has struggled in many ways during the pandemic, including losing her restaurant job. So when she uses sites like Chegg, it's most often through something like a free one-month trial. I was actually homeless, so it is difficult for me to, you know, even pay for a service, even though we want to, you know. That was just one of many things the student couldn't afford while she was living out of her van. 
And then like at the end of last year, literally like December when it got colder, a lot of my friends reached out and they're just like, hey, stay with me for a week. So I'd hop from house to house. I was they called me bag lady because everything was in bags. So every house I'd come in, I'd bring in like two bags, like clothes, fresh clothes. And then my like, you know, personal hygiene thing. So yeah, I, I did hop from house to house. And I was very fortunate to have friends that were like, here, take over for like, a, I had a month too, um, where a friend went to jail for a month. And she was like, stay at my place if you can watch my dog. So I, I did those kinds of things to kind of have a home. Yeah. Wow. And you've managed to keep on track with your studies. That. That's the that. crazy part, Jeff, that I actually did better this past semester and I'm doing so good this semester, even though I'm juggling housing situations like I've I don't know, maybe it's a drive or maybe it's just like I'm done struggling, you know. How do you get work done from your van or when you were in that situation? Um, so I reached out to the campus, the like the ending of spring 2020. Um, and I reached out to them and said, Hey, like school's going to start. Sorry. It was like summer 2020. And, um, I saw this email saying like, if you have, you know, Wi-Fi problems or whatever, reach out to the IT department. So I did. And they gave me this mobile hotspot that you can just keep charged or charge it when you need to use it. And, um, you can, you can take it anywhere. So in my van, obviously I would just keep it charged, um, on, you know, in the car and use it when I had homework. And I bought a table, like a $30 table from Amazon. Um, and I, you know, I put the table on the passenger side. And so whenever I need to homework, I'd park my car or move it towards some shade and then do homework there. And that's how I did that. Okay. So Katia's university is clearly trying to help. And in fact, a program at San Francisco state helped her get an apartment. So she does have a place to live now. Thinking of the complexity of students' lives these days, I asked that Chegg official, Candace Sue, whether sites like Chegg are needed because colleges just can't possibly provide enough academic support for today's students. And I wondered how she felt about that, because, I mean, she's worked at universities, and it's kind of a sad note, right, to, to say that universities just can't do enough on their own. That's a great question, Jeff. Um... So my experience is with the University of California system. So 10 campuses, nine undergraduate campuses, that's, you know, 400,000 plus students. Um, some of these campuses are enormous, <laughs> 30 to 36,000 students in, in, on a campus. It would be incredibly challenging um, for even, you know, a, uh, even a school like Berkeley or UCLA to provide students with the resources that they need um, at all times of the day, you know, when they're looking for them. It, it, I think it would be incredibly challenging for a public university that's resourced through uh, public dollars, and it would be equally challenging um, for, uh, you know, a faculty member at even a, a, a well-resourced private school to be available um, when, when students are looking for support. When I was talking earlier with that expert on academic integrity, her big idea was that it was the tests themselves that might need to change to adapt to this online learning reality we're in. You know, what happened when we switched rapidly, and faculty had no choice, was they took that same exam they were giving in an in-person exam in a one-hour framework and trying to make it available 24 hours um, online. And that's just not how um, it good pedagogy and assessment works in online learning. And so that's why we've also been very careful to say we're doing remote instruction. We're not doing online learning right now. The majority, the majority of faculty, right? 
so alternative assessments to that traditional type of exam. So one example I'm really excited about, we have some faculty on our campus in the engineering, mostly in the engineering um, school, who um, started playing with oral assessments um, in this last summer. And, you know, they were really interested on how oral assessments not only could help them assess whether the student actually knows the material, but it gives the student a chance to have to orally explain the material, which is more relevant to being an engineer than them writing things out. And it allowed them to connect with their students, right? And the students to connect with them. But then they thought, how can we do this on scale? Our classes are, you know, our engineering school's huge. Our classes are huge. And so right, they got an NSF grant, National Science Foundation grant. And right now they are running their research project to look at the scalability and um, feasibility and benefits of oral assessments. I wondered how that would actually play out. How, how could they scale that to so many students? The project she mentioned apparently is using TAs and training everyone careful so that they're doing these oral exams in a consistent way. And her group, her organization, has other suggestions for professors, like reminding students about the issue of academic dishonesty and, and stressing the importance of doing their own work for their own learning. This whole pandemic has really taught professors a lesson in what students do with, uh, with the internet is when it comes to cheating. And Trisha says that professors now have a clearer sense of how students use things like homework help sites. I think more people are thinking about academic integrity than they were before. I think a lot of faculty had this false sense of integrity doesn't, or integrity violations don't happen in my class, right? I've got it all under control. And there was this sense of uh, integrity violations only happen in online, you know, we know from research that people think that cheating happens more regularly in online classes and in person. Um, but what I, what I hear from faculty and what I, I'm seeing is that they're not going to drop these new practices that they've picked up when they go back to the physical classroom. They're talking about academic integrity more. They're trying to, um, they're using integrity affirmations and um, uh, reminders more. We're doing an integrity messaging uh, research project right now where we're testing this, the saliency of messages. You know, is, is a, a message full of stats about people who got caught cheating and their sanctions more salient than a message about honesty and trust and respect? Um, so, you know, I think that the good news is a lot of faculty will realize, wow, it's really easy for students to cheat. I better keep these changes in my in-person class that I, that I adopted for my, on, my online class. The tough question now, of course, is what happens with this issue of cheating and homework help sites after the pandemic is over? The stress won't go away just because the pandemics may be done. Um, there's now going to be a new stress of, I've got to sit in a classroom with people? Um, like, I don't even want to be near people. I've got to be proctored. It's weird that this this person's walking around watching me take my test, you know. So I do think that there's going to be um, a tough transition. And and if, if the exams are in person again and students can't easily is cheat, use the strategies they were using before, then what's, you know, what's going to happen? Are we going to see grades plummet? And, you know, so it's really hard to say. But yes, I think the transition back is going to be just as hard as a transition to remote was. This has been the EdSurge podcast. Each week, we bring you a range of perspectives about how education is changing. You can support the show 
I hope you will by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever you listen. Seriously, it, it does matter. Um, it will help us a lot if you can just leave us a rating or review or tell a friend about the EdSearch podcast on social media. This episode was written and produced by me, Jeff Young. You can find me on Twitter at JR Young. Music this episode by Blue Dot Sessions. That track was called Tall Tell. Thanks, as always, to Tony Wan, the managing editor of EdSurge. We'll be back next week with more on how education is changing. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.